Morning, Fellowship family. How y'all doing? We got a special day today. We got some kiddos going to be dedicated. We got some baptisms. I hope you're doing well. I'm going to invite you, if you would, uh, as people are coming in, just to be aware of that, but also just go ahead and stand with us. If, if you want, if you will, uh, we're going to just begin worshiping the Lord together. You know, it's because of the finished work of Christ Jesus that we get to stand right here, right now, clean, close, and connected. Amen. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who had enough humility to not consider his equality to God, not consider that or use that for his advantage. Rather, he humbled himself, took on the form of a man. He embraced our humanity. Hallelujah. Jesus, no matter where you're at right now, he gets it. He embraced, embraced our humanity. He lived a life and he died. He finished a work that has not only brought us unity uh, as one body together, we are united with Christ, but that's because we have been united to Christ. We have been made one spirit with the Lord. Amen. Is that good news? You're, you're, yeah, amen. Those of you who have believed the gospel have been united to Christ, have become one spirit with the Lord, and I've got good news for you. Though we're growing and we're learning, we're growing in our faith, we're, we're growing in our knowledge and understanding of who God is. Right now, you're as close to God, believer, as you'll ever be, amen? And that is because Jesus is so good and his work is complete, amen? So this morning, as we huddle together, as we gather together, let's consider what our unity with the Lord means for our unity with one another. And, and let's also consider the humility of Jesus and what that means for us today. Let's sing together. Who else?
Well, amen. Hey, you can take a seat. My name's Caleb Freeman. I'm one of the pastors here at the Rogers campus. Hey, I got a few announcements for you this morning. Hey, October 15th, if you've got a student 7th through 12th grade, our spring break mission trip applications will open up. And so if you've got a student, I'd really encourage you to check those mission experiences out. They're really fundamental for so many of our kids. But the 15th applications open. Also, at the end of this month, on the 29th, the training center will be offering the Defense of the Resurrection course. And so if you're interested, it's another great opportunity for you. Here's what I really wanna let you know. I wanna give you one more reminder. Next week, things are gonna be a little bit different, all right? Next week, we have how many services? One service at what time? 10.30, that's right. Next week is our all-church worship gathering at 10.30 a.m. in the West Field. We'll celebrate some baptisms. We'll have a picnic to follow. There will be inflatables for your children. And so we would love to have you come and join us. Here's what we need from you. Bring a chair, bring some food, and if you wanna play a game with your kids, bring a game as well. If you're the type of person who doesn't wanna carry a cooler out there, that seems a little too much, I wanna let you know you can go online and you can register and purchase a boxed lunch. It will magically appear out there. All you have to do is buy it this week and it'll show up for you on the field and you can enjoy lunch out there. What time is service next week? 10.30. In here? No, out on the West Field. We're excited to have you there. Hey, this morning though, we have a parent-child dedication. And so I'd like to invite Robin to kind of welcome our families up this morning. Great, great. I'm so excited to be able to share this with you guys this morning. So we have some pretty cool kids uh, and their parents that we're going to dedicate this morning. So let's kick it off. We're going to start with Ezra Bennett James. His parents say that Ezra is kind-hearted, sweet, and loving. He's a great helper, and he loves his little brother. And I've seen that in his little life. Isaiah Russell James, our cute redhead, he is such a sweet boy. He gives the best hugs and loves to cuddle. He also loves to be silly and always makes us laugh. He loves his big brother very much. Then we have James Henry Lee. I've never seen him frown or cry. James is such a joy full of giggles and smiles. Nothing makes him laugh more than playing with his big brother, Hayes. Seeing our boys together is truly a gift from God. We pray James will grow to seek after Christ's heart and trust him always. Grayson John Smith. <laughs> you made us parents and we love you so much. You're a sweet, gentle, silly, and joyful. You love to ride your bike, go camping and fishing, play outside, and read all the books. And you are thoughtful about everything and everyone. So we know that the Lord will be with you and guide you forever. We love you. And Oliver Dean Smith, his curly hair. You are the sweetest addition to our family, and we love you so very much. You're curious, talkative, affectionate, and strong-minded. We know your path, and we know that the Lord will be with you and guide you in all of your journeys. <laughs> Graham Robert Teckle, Teckley, Teckley, Teckley. Come on up. You are the best addition to our family, Graham. Our prayer for you is that you will draw near to the Lord and live without fear because of your confidence in him. These are our families. Well, can you give it up for these families? We're pretty lucky that we have some cute kids running around this church. I mean, look at Graham right here. He's amazing. He, he drools like his daddy, though, apparently. It's all right. Am I allowed to make that joke right now? <laughs> I'm in trouble at community group. I'm going to go on this side. I won't be there tonight at community group, so just forget I said that, Techlies. Hey, these are some wonderful families, 
And we love that they're a part of our church. You guys are gifts. And so this morning is actually really important and it's really, it's really special. For you as parents and you children, whether you know it right now or not. Because what they're doing this morning, what we're doing this morning, isn't just a child dedication, it's a parent-child dedication. In this moment, we're gonna offer these kids back to the Lord, recognizing, these parents recognizing that these children are gifts, but it's unto Jesus that they're raising them. And we're also gonna dedicate these parents. These parents are gonna dedicate themselves to their children and to God, saying, Jesus, it's only with your help that we can raise godly children. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna ask you parents a few questions. I'm gonna ask you some commitments. And if you're willing to make these commitments, my request is that you would respond with, we will with God's help. You ready for this? Parents, will you commit to care for, love, and treasure these children as gifts from God? If so, say we will with God's help. And will you commit to raise them and train them in the ways of Jesus? teaching them to obey all that he has commanded? If so, say we will with God's help. And will you commit to seeking out godly community in your life, practicing the spiritual disciplines in your life and demonstrating godly habits in your life to your children? If so, say we will with God's help. Well, amen. Those are big commitments, ones that aren't taken lightly and we appreciate your willingness to do so. But hey, you're not off the hook if you're sitting out there. Because a lot of times we hear the phrase, oh, it takes a village to raise a child. And that's true, but at Fellowship, we actually believe that raising godly children is best done with the help of the local body. And so this is what I wanna do for just a second. If you're a family member of one of these families up here, would you stand up, please? And maybe not just family members, but if you're in a community group, or a Bible study with anybody up here, would you, would you stand up? For those of you who maybe share a neighborhood pool or a neighborhood park, your neighbors, or friends with any of these people, would you stand as well? Anybody who works in our early childhood, because if, whether you all know this or not, everybody who works in early childhood is praying by name for these kids, would you stand up? If you're somebody who's willing to commit to faithfully praying for families in Northwest Arkansas, would you stand? You see, parents, the beauty is you made a great commitment this morning, but you didn't make a commitment that you have to do by yourself. And all of these people are with you. All of these people want to walk with you. Jesus wants you to do this with him. And the way that he's enabling you to do that is sending these godly people into your life. And so fellowship, I've got a few questions for you and if you're willing to commit to these, will you respond with, we will with God's help? Fellowship, will you commit to helping these parents along the journey of raising godly children? Will you encourage these parents, listen to them and pray for them as you can? If so, say we will with God's help. And will you commit to praying for these children, encouraging them when you're able, serving them as possible, and helping them in any season of life? If so, say we will with God's help. And fellowship, will you commit to a lifelong lifestyle of living like Christ, that these children might see who our God is through your life? If so, say we will with God's help. Amen. Well, hey, it seems fitting to me that in this time we would pray over these kids. And so, would you do something with me? Will you extend a hand towards these children right now? And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray a prayer that I stole from Robin, and I guarantee you she stole it from somebody else, but it's really good and really fitting. So would you extend a hand and pray with me? Father, we ask that you would protect these children, protect Ezra and Isaiah, James, Grayson, Oliver, and Graham. Give them an awareness of your presence, Lord, set purpose in their hearts and a passion for you that cannot be quenched. As they grow, we ask that you would sever any influence or distraction that, we, that would lead them away from your best for their life. Let your spirit rise up within them, fill them up to overflow so that they would have wisdom beyond their years. Be their guide today, Jesus. Be their guide tomorrow and forever. Give them a sensitivity to where you're working and what you're doing 
Convict them of anything that's not pleasing to you. Give them the courage to respond to that conviction. Give them the courage to live right, to honor you. Jesus, would you make these children humble servants? Because we believe that humble servants are great leaders that point to you. Would you rise them, raise them to be truth tellers in their generation? We pray these things in your name, amen. Well, you can take a seat. Families, thank you so much. Here's my call to you. You committed to praying for them. So if you see them today in the foyer, pray for them, pray with them, tell them that you're beside them. Hey, not only do we get to celebrate a parent-child dedication this morning, but we also get to celebrate a dedication to the Lord through baptism. That's right. Good morning, fellowship. Hey, I, my name is Sarah Hill, and I get the absolute honor to introduce you guys to Lena Hobbs. This is Lena. Say hey, Lena. Hey, everybody. <laughs> These are her parents, Austin and Molly. Um, and I, it has been so cool. I've gotten to walk with Lena for the past few months through just the Bible, the story of scripture. Um, and it has been really cool. I wanna address her parents though for a minute. They have instilled in her a love and a passion for God's word. And it has been really, really cool. Molly, that is a huge testament to you um, and your knowledge and love of the scripture. Um, and it is showing through your child, which is so cool. But today is about Lena. And it has been super, super sweet to see Lena ask really good questions, ask really hard questions in the midst of her seventh and eighth grade year, years I think we can all agree that are not always the easiest. Um, a sweet moment from whenever we were meeting, we were talking about the Exodus and how the Israelites had to put blood over their doors whenever the Passover was taking place. and. I looked at, we were talking about it and Lena looks at me and she goes, Sarah, that's exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it was a moment that I, it was just so sweet. And seeing her grasp that understanding, that was so much more than just a good church kid Christian answer. It was a true understanding of what Jesus did for her and an understanding that the same God of the Old Testament is the same God that loves her today, right now. Um, the same God that has pursued his people from day one, still pursues Lena Hobbs in eighth grade here in Rogers, Arkansas. And so I have a few verses from Psalm 145 I wanna read. And it says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. And Lena, that's my prayer for you, that you would praise him all of your days today and forevermore. Um, this is about what he has done in your life and your choice to choose him. So I'm gonna hand it off to Simon. Lena, uh, I am not only a pastor at this great church, Fellowship Rogers, but I'm also a friend of your families. And I just want you to know something, that this church, I promise you, I commit to you, this church is gonna be there for you to celebrate the biggest wins in your life and they're also gonna be there for you when you struggle. Amen? We're your church. Now, I get to be your pastor, but also a friend, and I commit to you that we will follow Jesus together. All right? Lena, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, I get the really great opportunity to celebrate an outward display of an inward heart change. And you are living that out. You're the proof of the gospel being real and good. In that vein, in that theme, I would like to baptize you, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life.
thousand generations Falling down in worship Sing the song of ages to the land And all who've gone before us And all who will believe Sing the song of ages to the land Amen Your name is the high And dominions, all powers and positions, your name stands above the moon, and the angels cry, holy, all creation cry, holy, you will live.
Father, we lift our hands, we lift our hearts, we lift our songs, we lift our gaze to you. Lord, I thank you that you're a good God, good enough to embrace our humanity, step into our world, and finish and accomplish a work that none of us could accomplish. But your Son and our Savior did it, Jesus. And because of his work on the cross, for those of us who believe that good news, Lord, you are holy, and you've also made us holy. We're a people of your own possession. You've set us apart for a purpose, and we thank you for that. We thank you that closeness isn't earned, it's a gift. And so, Father, we thank you for allowing us to stand here clean, close, one with you, one with Christ, united together as a body in Jesus. Lord, help us, teach us how to have that same attitude, the same humility that Jesus had. He didn't consider his equality. He didn't consider his status as a means to, for his own good, for his own advantage. Lord, he humbled himself. Help us, teach us, show us what that means in our life right here, right now. We'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor. Well, hey, I, um, <clears throat> I thought I'd open this morning just with a little moment of vulnerability uh, and full transparency with y'all. I wanna let you know something about the Freeman family. And so what it is is that, you know, my, my family and I, the Freeman family, we're, uh, we're egg salad sandwich kind of people, all right? We like egg salad sandwiches. It's kind of a staple for dinner in our household. I got a three-year-old that requests egg salad sandwich semi-regularly. And I'm not talking about anything special. I'm talking about hard-boiled eggs, garlic salt, pepper, and mayonnaise. You put it on some Sara Lee honey wheat bread and enjoy it for all eternity. That's what we like. And I'll be very specific. It's nothing fancy, but it is important. It is mayonnaise, not Miracle Whip. All right? Amen? Yeah, because there's some, yeah, that's right. That'll get you excited. There's some of you out here who think mayonnaise and Miracle Whip are the same thing. It's not. And so can I just say right now, you're welcome here. We love you, you're here, but I would love to invite you to this prayer room right over here. We wanna pray for your soul this morning because it's not the same thing. We like egg salad sandwiches, they're great. But every once in a while, my wife and I have had enough of them. You can only do it for so many weeks in a row and then you gotta change things up. And so when we need something special, when we need something good, I like to grill a steak. I like to go to Richard's Meat Market. I like to grab a filet and I run to the grill. All you need, salt, pepper, and sear it in butter, right? And it's so good. You don't need any sauce with it. If you're putting Heinz 57 on a perfectly grilled steak, let me introduce you to Miracle Whip people in the prayer room. Y'all get along just fine. But after I'm done grilling it, I take this steak in that I've been waiting two weeks of egg salad sandwich to enjoy, and I go inside, and you gotta cut it up, and you gotta make sure it's just right. And you gotta take a bite. And as I take that first bite, I, I dip my fork into the steak and I begin to eat it. It's this moment of glory. It's just so good, your taste buds are exploding. And maybe it's because I've had chicken tenders, egg salad sandwich, and mac and cheese for the past eight years of my life. But as I'm eating that steak, I just never want that moment to end because it is just a morsel of goodness. It's amazing. You ever had that happen? Go get a big green egg and you'll try it sometime, okay? But we have these moments where even the smallest thing brings the most joy. Just these morsels of goodness are found in our life. All right, this morning, I think the set of scriptures that we have in Philippians is a morsel of goodness. It's just this little piece that Paul gives us that is so rich, it's so deep, you could just sit in it. And I realized that I just compared the word of God to egg salad sandwich and a steak. All right, but I was a youth pastor, so it's expected. All right, if you're surprised by that, that's your fault, not mine. I want us to sit in the goodness of God this morning. I want us to just relish in what Paul gives us. So let's jump in, Philippians 2. We're gonna go verses one through 11, but at the very beginning, Paul writes this. He says, if there is any 
encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy. Complete my joy. He says, fill my joy to the fullest by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul starts out his second chapter to the Philippian believers and he calls them into unity. He says, be unified together, have the same mind, have the same love, be of full accord. All the diverse members of that local body, he's saying, you have the same mission, you have the same set of beliefs, you have the same king. Be unified together. But he doesn't just say, be unified. Paul also gives the church the means by which that unity is to be achieved. And he says that that unity happens through humility. He writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul says that the unity that the Philippian church is to walk in is to be achieved through their humility. And as we read these verses of his call into humility, I mean, they're simple. They're egg salad sandwich, simple, but they're convicting. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing, not even your career, not even your aspirations. Consider others more significant than yourself. Look out to the interest of others. You see, Paul, at the very start, calls his church into unity. And then he says the way that that unity is to be achieved is through humility. It's right after this calling that he gives an example. Paul's gonna give what a true example of humility looks like. He's gonna give a true demonstration of what that humility ought to be like. And you can probably guess the humility that he's gonna list as his example is the humility of Jesus. And this is the morsel of goodness. This, these verses five through 11, this is the stake. This is where I want us to sit for a little bit because these verses are unbelievable. Every word in this section could be a sermon. Every line could be a series. It's so rich, it's so deep, it's so good. In fact, I, I realize that on a Sunday morning, there's a lot of us who probably look for different things. I mean, if you're a person who likes beauty, maybe you're a little more creative, you, you enjoy the arts, and you like to look for the beauty of God within the scriptures, I hope this morning is for you. I mean, look at the, what we even call this. It's called the kenosis hymn. We'll get into what kenosis means, but did you know a lot of scholars actually believe that these verses are one of the first hymns ever sung by the early church? that they actually believe that this is maybe one of the first worship songs ever sung by the church, that Paul is giving his call into unity. He says, you'll be unified as you humble yourself. And if you wanna know an example of humility, and then he grabs the chorus of this song and he puts it right in his letter. They're beautiful words, beautiful lines. Or maybe you're somebody who wants to go a little more in depth. You like to go a little more study mode with the scriptures. Well, look, it's called the kenosis hymn. We're gonna talk about what Greek words mean. We're actually gonna look at Greek syntax this morning. I just said the word syntax up here. We're gonna get into that. If you want something in depth, this is the section for you or maybe you're just a person who wants to be told how to live it out. I just give you an application point, let you run. You're a three on the Enneagram, have fun. Hey, this morning it's there for you. There's a powerful call that is given to the local church in Philippi and to us. And so let's jump in because all of it, the beauty, the, the, the depth, the application, it all centers around the humility of Christ. Verse five, it says, have this mind among yourselves. Have this attitude, this mindset. You know, when we read verse five, we should remember verse two because Paul already used this word mind. He said, have the same mind. Be a full of court of one mind. But here, Paul uses it as an imperative verb, as a command. And there's a command for the church in Philippi to have this mindset, this attitude with one another, an attitude of Christ-likeness that is available to them through Jesus. You see, Paul is calling them to be like Christ. And so he says, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a 
thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's this first part of the kenosis hymn that Paul runs into. And I think for us to understand that first section, there's actually three words that we really need to understand. There's the word form. In the Greek, it's the word morphe. There's the word harpagmon. In the Greek, it's grasped. Maybe you're using the NIV. we'll, We'll point it out to you there. Or emptied. It's the word kanao, where we get the word kenosis. We've got to understand what these words mean. Because if we misinterpret them, then we misinterpret the section. And that's happened in some cults that are prevalent in our world today that have led to unorthodox beliefs about Jesus and what I would even call false religions. So what I want us to do is actually understand these three words so that we can understand these verses and know what the scripture is telling us. You see, it starts off and it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God. And that's where that first word comes in, morphe, form of God. And morphe can speak of shape or appearance. It can talk about a physical representation, but I would argue here that that's not what it's talking about. That it's actually talking about essential characteristics or qualities. In fact, that's why the NIV translates this in the very nature God. Because if we look at it, we understand that this section isn't concerned with telling us how Jesus looked. It's actually concerned with telling us who God is. It wants to tell us about the character of God. And what it's saying from the very beginning is that Jesus is God. That Jesus is the second member of the Trinity. That he's the son of God. And when it says he was in the form God, that he was in all essentials God, it's making a statement that Jesus always has been God. This is a statement about the eternal nature of the Jesus that we serve. And typically when we think about eternity, we we think about eternity in the future, right? We, We think about maybe heaven or the new heavens and the new earth, and we think about time for all going forward but we can oftentimes forget that eternity also speaks about the past and that we as followers of Jesus actually believe that our God has existed for all eternity past. And what's happening here in verse six when it says Jesus was in the form of God, what's being communicated is that Jesus as the son of God always has existed, that he never was created. That's why Colossians says he's the one whom through everything was created. We believe that Jesus as the son of God, the second member of the Trinity, is the uncaused cause. That everything came about because of him. This isn't a statement about how Jesus looked. It's a statement about his eternal nature. It's a statement about the fact that Jesus has been, always was, and always will be equal to the Father. Yet look at what it says about the equality with the Father. What does it say Jesus does with that? Even though he was in the form of God, he did not count that equality, his divinity, his divine nature, his godness. That's not a word, but his godness, if you will. A thing to be grasped. That word harpagmon in the Greek. And it's actually a beautiful picture when we understand it. Because that word means taking. It means reaching, grabbing for, using as leverage. That's why the NIV says he didn't use it to his own advantage. But to the Philippian believers, this idea of harpagmon, grasping for, it just would have rung so clearly in their ears. Because think about all the rulers, the emperors, any authority in their life, how that authority would have acted. Think about Nero. Nero would have been the emperor at the time that this letter was being written. And Nero didn't just believe that he was divinely appointed, No, Nero actually believed that he in and of himself was divine. He believed he was a god. And in fact, cultic worship of the Caesars was very prevalent in the Greco-Roman world. People did that all the time. And Nero would have been one who had people worship him as a god because he believed what? That he was equal with the gods. 
And what did Nero do with his quote-unquote equality with the gods? He used it to grab for more. He used it to take more land. He used it to reach for more power. He used it as leverage to boost and bolster himself at the expense of everyone else. Nero was always grabbing for more because he thought he was equal with the gods. But here the scriptures say Jesus actually was equal with the gods and he never reached for more. He didn't use his equality with God as something that he can, means he can take more power or grab for what he wants. Jesus actually did the opposite because it says he didn't use it for his own advantage, but rather being equal with God, what did he do? It says he emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. This word emptied, it comes from the verb kanao. That's where we get kenosis, for kenosis hymn, song of emptying, or hymn of emptying. And this is a word that can scare some people. In fact, I talked about some other religions even uh, misinterpreting some words. This is one of them. Because there are some people who believe that when it says Jesus actually emptied himself, they believe that what it's saying is that he emptied himself of his divinity, that he was in the form God, that he was equal with God, and yet when he came to the earth, he actually emptied himself of that equality. But I would argue staunchly against that. I, I would say that is not the truth. In fact, that's why the NIV, if you're reading it, it says that he made himself nothing. Because what's being expressed here is not Jesus emptying himself of his divinity, but what's being expressed is that Jesus emptied himself of his prerogative to use that divinity for himself. And the reason that we know that is because of how this section of scripture is written. You see, at the beginning I mentioned there's a part where we'll talk about Greek syntax. This is my morning, that's where we're going. So if that's really boring to you, hang with me for three minutes. All right, just hang on, we're coming back. But the reason we can understand how this emptying took place is because of how this letter is written. You see, emptied is the verb in this section. And it's followed by three participles. And those participles actually directly inform the way that we have to interpret the word. The participles that follow the verb tell us how to interpret the word. And the participles that follow this verb are by taking, by being born, being found. You see, the section actually says that Jesus emptied himself, not by giving up his form, but by taking on a form. Not by giving up who he was, but by being born. Not by hiding himself in a different manner, but being found in a new manner. You see, when you read this section, the way that Jesus emptied himself is described not so much as if he poured himself out and gave up something, but that he took something else entirely on. The, the example that I like to use would be that of a king. So go with me for a second. Picture a king sitting on his throne. He's got a crown, he's got a ring, got a robe, a scepter. Picture a king. And he hears that his kingdom isn't doing well, that his village is actually hurting, that the people are struggling. And so what this king does is he actually stands up off of his throne. He takes off his ring and he puts it down on his seat. He walks down the steps seat. He walks down the steps and is in the hallway of the palace. He walks down that hallway, pushes open the doors himself and begins to walk down the stairways that lead to the palace. And as he's walking down those stairs, he undoes his robe it lands on the ground. He comes to the dirt road that heads into the village and he actually lays his crown down as well. He begins to meander through this dirt road and into the village and off in the distance, he sees some farmers working in their fields. And inside the stable, he sees their cattle and the cattle's hungry. And so he enters into this stable and actually finds some boots. He puts these boots on, he finds a hat. He puts that on and there in the corner, is a pitchfork. He sets down his scepter, he pitch, picks up the pitchfork, and he begins to move the hay to feed the cattle. And that analogy, is the king any less king because he took off his crown? 
No, he can go right back up to the throne and he can make any law he wants. Is he any less king because he took off his robe? Not at all. Let's ask this one. Is he any less king because he put on work boots? Or because he picked up a pitchfork and set down his scepter? No, what he did doesn't change who he is. He's still king, but rather than using his position of power as a means to gain himself more, he uses his position of power as a means to help those in his village. And in the same way when the scriptures say that Jesus emptied himself by taking on, it's not saying that Jesus emptied himself of his equality with God, but it's saying that he emptied himself by taking on equality with humanity as well. That's where we get this idea, 100% God, 100% man. It's what we call the hypostatic union, that Jesus is fully God, he's fully man. And the process of the Son of God, who was in the very form of God, yet didn't consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. That's what we call the incarnation. That's the fact that we believe in a God so humble that the creator would stoop to the level of creation, that the king would become a servant. You see, oftentimes when we talk about the humility of God, we instantly run to the cross. And hear me out, that is a great place to go because the cross is a great demonstration of the love of Jesus and his humility. But we can forget just how humble of an act it was for Jesus simply to come to us. For the creator of the universe to get up out of his throne and come to his people who are hurting. The God who created all time, subjecting himself to time. The God who created all gravity, subjecting himself to gravity. The God who created and knew human emotions, subjected and felt himself to human emotions. He knows what it's like to be abandoned. His best friend sold him to the cross for a bag of money. He knows what it's like to be embarrassed. He hung naked on that cross. He knows what it's like to be worried. He cried blood or, or, or sweat blood in the, in the garden. You want to talk about humility, it's a creator actually stepping into creation. And that's what it means when it says that he emptied himself. He didn't give up his divinity, but he used his divinity for someone else. But it says that he didn't just empty himself, he also humbled himself. And we're told how this humbling happened for Christ. The humbling happened by becoming obedient. Which again, if you think about it for a, while, for a, for a little bit, is just as wild. It's absurd that the God himself, who, who, who has to report to no one, the God of the universe, the, the God of all creation, can do whatever he wants. He's sovereign, he's powerful, he's majestic. He actually became obedient to the will of the Father. I mean, listen to these words in the garden where Jesus says, let this cup pass from before me, but if not, your will be done. You see, we see an obedience within Jesus that demonstrates his humility and his strength. And we could probably, we probably don't have time for it, but we're gonna do it anyways. We could pause there for a second because I think this world loves to tell us that obedience is weakness, that obedience unto the Lord is weakness. Doing what God calls you to do rather than what you feel like doing, rather than what you wanna do, that's weakness because what you're doing is being inauthentic. You're not being true to yourself. You're not following who you really are. But Jesus demonstrates the exact opposite. That obedience under the will of the Father takes ultimate strength in complete humility and actually leads us into total joy and satisfaction. Obedience is a weakness. Obedience is a Christ-like character that demonstrates humility. But Jesus wasn't just obedient. It says that he was obedient to death. The God who made life actually died. And not just any death. It says that he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The, the most horrendous and awful way that a, a man could conceivably die, the creator of the universe bore for us. Right? Let, let, let Jesus die peacefully in his bed of old age. It'd be the most outrageous act of humility conceivable. But Jesus didn't die in his bed peacefully of old age. He didn't just become obedient to death. He became obedient to a sacrificial death on a cross, a death that you and I deserved. He, the God of all life took on all death because it was this sacrifice. 
That's the gospel that we believe. The scriptures say that the wages of sin is death. That we deserve death because of our sin. But it also says that he who knew no sin became our sin. Jesus didn't die any death. He died our death. The death that we deserved. And think about it. He was in the form of God. He was equal with God. He's the only one who could pay that price. And because, because of his equality with God. And yet, because he was equal with God, he didn't skirt away from it. He didn't shy away from it. He didn't walk away from it. He walked into it. Taking on the death that we deserved. And it's because of that that God has highly exalted him. Because Jesus humbled himself, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I, I don't think I need to even do anything here. Just, this is the morsel. Just sit in the goodness that there is a God that because he humbled himself has been exalted and because he stooped down, we now get to bow down before him. This is the beauty that Jesus has the name above every name that every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that he is Lord. But check it. Confess that he is Lord to what? To the glory of God the Father even in his resurrection, even in his glorification, Jesus doesn't consider his equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He doesn't consider it only something for him, but he even gives glory to the Father. You see, this is humility. This, this kenosis him describes Jesus' humility so perfectly, and you can see it in every aspect of who he is. We see the humility of Christ in his incarnation that he was in the very form God, and yet he came and took on flesh. We see it in his life, that although he was equal with God, what did he do? He took on the form of a servant, and he lived a life not using his divinity for himself, but his divinity to heal the blind, to help the sick, and to raise sinners like us to new life. We see his humility in his death, that it wasn't any death but it was actually a sacrificial one that he bore for us. And we see his humility and his glorification that as he's exalted, he also shares that to demonstrate who God the Father is. You see, it's in this hymn, this section, this morsel of goodness that we begin to see the humility of Jesus. And the humility of Jesus is a little bit different than we typically think of humility. You see, oftentimes we think of humility as restraining, abstaining, disengaging. We, we view humility as not bragging about how big our house is, not boasting about how much we make, not talking about the accomplishments that we have. And hear me out, that's good, that's part of it. You know, when we work with students, students, we tell y'all, you know, don't brag about yourself. Don't, don't boast when you score the, the touchdown in football. But Jesus demonstrates that his humility is a step further in maturity. It's a step further in depth and in sturdiness. Because Jesus' humility isn't about abstaining, it's about action. Jesus' humility is about using all that he was, his very equality with God, the fact that he was in the very form God, not to his own advantage, but to the advantage of others. Jesus perfectly exemplifies what we see in verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And in verse four, consider others more significant. Look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. You see, if I were to take the humility of Jesus and try and figure out what it looks like, I think that what we can probably understand is that Christ-like humility, a humility that follows after the example of Jesus is best displayed through what you do, not what you do not do. Think about that for a second. Christ-like humility is about action, not just abstaining. Because we said it. Jesus used who he was in the very form God. Jesus used all that he had, equality with God. 
He used his whole being, his whole nature, everything that he is, not for himself, but for others. Which means if we too are gonna follow in Christ's example, we get to use everything that we are, everything that we've been given, our time, our talent, our treasures, our giftings, our personalities, our passions, our aspirations. It's not given to you for you, it's given to you that you might give it to other people, just like Jesus did. That's what makes the the, the picture of a loving mother such a compelling example of our God. That a mom, as she raises and nurses her child, she's literally giving of herself to the detriment of herself for the betterment of her child. That's humility. That's what makes a coach who cares more about his players than the plays that they run so impactful to so many of us because he's willing to use the knowledge that he has to benefit them and, and, and help them win rather than gain glory for himself. To be honest, that's what makes a, a pastor, a spiritual leader who abuses their position of power to gain more so hypocritical and so sad because humility is about what you do, not what you don't do. Which then I think begs the question that we all have to ask, who are you? And what have you been given? How have you been gifted? What's your personality? What's your skills? What do you have available? What are you good at? And how do you not use that for selfish ambition but also use it for the interest of others? How do you leverage everything you have for the benefit of those around you rather than yourself? How do you use your very nature, not as something that allows you to grab for more, but as something that enables you to give to others? Because that's exactly what Jesus did, which I think tells us something. Because if you remember, Paul said the call in this section is to unity through humility. Paul writes to the Philippian church, he says, be unified. And the way that you're gonna be unified is through humility. Humble yourselves before one another. And he gives the example. He says, be like Jesus, who used all that he was for someone else, us, who used everything that he is for the benefit of those he created. I think we have the same call, that we too are called as a local body to be unified together that as a church, we're called to unity. And the best way to achieve that unity is through humility, that we would lay our crowns down before one another. And if we wanna remember what that humility looks like, then remember Jesus, who was in the very form God, nature of God. You didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage, but emptied himself by becoming a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it's for that reason that God has exalted him, given him the name above every name. And it's for that reason that we too exalt him. And so would you stand with me now as we exalt the King, who in his incarnation, his life, his death, his glorification has exemplified what true humility looks like. fellowship, our hope is that we would be unified together, that we would demonstrate our unity through our humility and that we'd cling to Jesus 
It's one thing to say, I'm gonna humble myself. Man, you can't do it without the Spirit. You can't do it without the Lord. So let's ask the Lord to humble us before one another that we might be unified for his glory. Hey, if you need prayer this morning, come see us in the prayer room. We'd love to talk to you. Also gonna say it one more time. Next week, don't come at nine o'clock. We won't be here, okay? But come at 10.30, bring a chair, bring a lunch. We'll see you in the Westfield. We love you. See you all next week.